we were uh, like the resident rule keepers, if you want. That's a nice way of, of putting it. Mm-hmm. But we. What's the mean way to put it? You don't want to say that on a oh, podcast. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I'm, sure, I'm naive. I don't know. I mean, know. I'm sure some people have uh, words for it. Okay, never mind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Learn By Doing podcast. I'm your host, Sue Brooks, and today I have with me Pastor Aaron Guajardo. Hey, Aaron, what's up? Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this with you. Yes, I'm glad you're here. Um, Aaron, we interviewed, well, I interviewed uh, your wife, Kate, a little while back. She's one of my very favorite people. She's my favorite person. We could fight over that. I don't mind fighting over that. Here, I'm going to take out my headphones. <laughs> I know, isn't she wonderful? She is. She's so wonderful. So you are Kate's husband. That's, yeah. his, <laughs> that's how I know you. That's how I know you as Kate's husband. So, hey, Aaron. Aaron, you work at the Oaks Church here in Red Oak, Texas. I do. Yeah. So I I now work, I work on the kids team with Kate. So I'm a special projects manager and mm-hmm. I help write all the weekend curriculum for kids and parent-based discipleship strategies that we do here at Oaks Church uh, for kids. But we've been in ministry my whole adult life and been a youth and college pastor for about eight years and worked at a Christian university and administration for a couple years and now working on the kids team here wow. at Oaks Church. Yes, you've done a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, so great. Well, you were actually, now you and you and Kate met because you were here at the Oaks and you were doing leadership here. Yeah, so when I graduated high school, I moved from Albuquerque to, to Dallas. Well, so I was living in Oak Cliff because I was coming to OSL. Okay. Uh, so did the OSL program for about three years, worked worked on staff kind of towards the end of my college, um, you know, fin- finishing up my bachelor's at Southwestern. And that's where I met Kate. Yes. Wait, when you say you worked on staff, was it with the Oaks or with Southwestern? So it was, was with the Oaks. That was, we were transitioning into the time where we had a real strong connection with Southwestern, taking classes from Southwestern as OSL students. So that's when that partnership really flourished. Mm -hmm. So I was working for Oaks helping the OSL program. Got it. You and Kate, right? Yeah. She was working. Oh, how fun and convenient. And here you are. Well, you've, you've real, well, you, after that, I I was going to, I'm jumping way ahead. How about this? After that then is when you went to do ministry work back in Albuquerque. Yeah. So graduated December, 2008. Moved to Albuquerque in 2009 to take a youth and college pastor position. I moved to Albuquerque. Kate was still here. We were married in May, and then we both moved over there together. Wow. Fun. So what was that like? I always like to talk about this. And the reason is there are many of our students, not all, but we have a a significant number of students who they come from a ministry background. So mom or dad is a pastor of a church. And so then they come through the program and then a lot of them actually get hired back on at that church. And so then what ends up happening is they've, they've been away for a number of years to learn ministry here at the Oaks. And then they go back home essentially, and they're working for family and they're serving with family and ministering with family. So I'm sure that you have some interesting insight and maybe advice to give them about, about that. Yeah. So that's my story. Um, Almost exactly. I, uh, I grew up in church my whole life. Uh, my dad was my pastor my whole life. So the church my dad pastors, um, my grandfather pastored before him. Wow. Uh, my dad pastors it now and did my whole life. So when I graduated high school, I came down uh, to Dallas to study at Southwestern and do OSL, uh, graduated and moved back home to work as youth and college pastor. Now working for family is probably the greatest thing that you'll ever get to do in your um in your whole life but it takes a pretty special person to do it because it's not the easiest thing mm-hmm. in the world to do uh so i always i always told my friends like this uh because there were other people on staff at the church when i was working there is 
So pastor is my pastor, but he's also my dad. So, you know, we worked office hours, 40 plus hours a week uh, doing the job that we got paid for. But when the person who runs the place is your dad, then it kind of feels like the job doesn't ever end. Mm-hmm. So all of, uh, you know, all my coworkers who, um, you know, who worked on on staff with me, I think they kind of got that because, you know, we worked at the same place and they knew my dad and my dad treated everybody the same. But there was a lot of extra things, like a lot of extra asks that I would get that maybe everybody else wouldn't get. Interesting. Um, so there's benefits to that. And then there's like um, not benefits, nice way to say it. <laughs> Um, that's a really nice way to say it, yeah. But in my like in my adult life, that's one of the re- most rewarding experiences that I had because I love my like I love my family and I love the I love the idea of working together towards something mm-hmm. that's that was started way before you, but that you're connected to. Wow. So yeah. my like my grandpa started the church, my dad runs the church, and then I got to be uh, a part of it too. And I feel like just ministry runs in our family. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was that was pretty special. Like that was pretty special for me. Uh, those years, there were some frustrating times too, but overall, I think I mean, it was it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always think too, it'd be interesting to hear the parents' perspective as well. That, that would be a, a cool question. Like when the... The, the beauty of having your child come on staff with you, but then also some challenges. I don't know. I'm at, I, so I'm a parent right now, you know, my oldest, I have a couple teens. And so I'm thinking in the future, like, what is it going to be like knowing, oh, they're not, they're not a kid anymore. They're my offspring, yeah. but they're an adult. Like when they become adults, that's just this interesting transition. So, yeah. And I think, I think that was a, another really big learning curve that we had when we moved back to Albuquerque was I left the church as a teenager and came back as a pastor, which is, which is a little bit weird because my peers that I grew up with in church, um, now, now there was like that awkward, like, well, are you my friend or are you like the person who runs the youth group and the college Mm. group now? So there was like a little bit of, it was weird. Mm Mm-hmm for for a while like all of a sudden we wouldn't get invited to places that we would have normally been invited to or so like I don't want to downplay that because that's a real thing Mm -hmm. especially if you're if you grew up somewhere for a long time well they see you as a person I left for almost five years and I wasn't the same person and we didn't get those five years like to grow up together Mm -hmm. um like my peers that would have been in youth group with me that are still at the church that you know, would have been leaders in the youth group at that time or attending the college, uh, the college ministry. So it was different. Like, I don't know how to, how to hundred percent fully articulate how that was. Uh, but it just, it just, there were some things that seemed different and like that leadership is lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, like model, like that's a real thing sometimes. Cause I feel like, you know, we kind of were lonely sometimes we had to make friends all over again. Yeah. And and really, that's that's unique in the ministry sense. But really, that is part of growing up too. And so you felt it in that ministry church sense. But there is something. Now I didn't grow up in. Now I grew up in church, but my parents weren't pastors. My dad was in the military. But there is that weird thing where you go home and everyone's been disconnected for a number of years, and then suddenly you, yeah, you're not the same person. You were. I mean, you are the same, but you're developed a little bit differently and yeah, yeah that and dynamic uh, is so yeah, interesting people's paths go different ways and right. to be honest there were some people that i grew up with that i probably didn't want to be very close to anymore just because of the way that they chose to live their life mm-hmm. uh so that was all that was a little bit that was a little bit interesting yeah. like navigating all of those relationships because like i still wanted to be everybody's friends but like our friendship was going to be different now Mm-hmm. And you're married. And I was married. Yes. Yeah. So we were married Dallas. in Dallas in May. Okay. And then we moved to Albuquerque. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Wow. So first year of marriage in a new, well, I mean, you were familiar with it. Yeah. It would have, it was, was a little. Was it new to Kate? It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. You dummy. 
Like a, <laughs> Don't you know a, your friend? <laughs> a new a new city, a new new people who she kind of casually knew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just from us dating for a little bit, but she didn't really know anybody quite yet. So yeah, it was a real new thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. First year of marriage, that's a fun one. Have fun with that, guys. Well, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not even gonna project onto you. I know Brian and I was like, oh, Wow, <laughs> we said I do for life. We really love each other. It's really good. Um, no, so when Brian was pastoring and I married I married him when he was pastoring and now he was the lead pastor of the church, but my family went to that church. So my mom and my dad, and then I had grown brothers with their families who also went to the church. And I remember, I remember with, with some things, that Brian, if there were maybe a, not a confrontation, but maybe something that needed to be addressed or even spoken about, his thing was, Sue, so my dad was on the board. He's, he's on the board and I'm his pastor. This is temporary, but he'll always be my father-in-law. So the decisions that I make and the things that I choose to say that's the filter I'm going to use. Yeah. He will always be my father-in-law. I'm not ever going to do anything that's going to damage that relationship that's going to last forever. So yeah. what what are your thoughts on that? Are you, would you, do you face that? Now, this was a son-in-law, father-in-law dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard. It's not hard. Like, cause I love, I love my family and um, but there were times that maybe we would have differences of opinions on things or, like we would we would try to start something new and maybe it would take a little bit longer than we would have liked it to mm-hmm. um but it's honoring like it's honoring you know first first my dad mm-hmm. and uh then just not honoring my dad but like if this wasn't my dad and he was my pastor and this is the person that I worked for how would I treat him so the, it, i think it does yeah. get a little bit it was a little bit tricky in um, in that, but I mean, it was, it was easy for me because I was like my dad. I grew up, like, I know him. I know his personality. I know the call of God that, you know, he has on his life and his love for the church and everything like that. So I was able, I was able to filter everything through that. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it, that is, it's just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's important to, to let young adults know too, that, you said something interesting and you said sometimes you would have differences of opinion that, and some, I think a lot of times when you're young, that feels like the world is going to end, but a difference of opinion does not mean an argument and a difference of opinion does not mean right or wrong all the time. Now, of course there are right and wrong things, but sometimes there's a better way or just a different way. So I like that you said that. And it just an encouragement to those of you out there that might be facing differences of opinion. It's not the end of the world. You can, you can guarantee that things will be, things will run smoothly. You'll be okay. Yeah. And I was young and I thought that I knew everything. And the reality is I can just, I can look on, back on that time in my life now that I didn't. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the ways that we did things were the right ways to do it. I just couldn't see it in the moment because I thought I knew better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, well, I guess I would say that, to whoever's going into ministry is you might not be able to see why you're doing the things the way that you're doing them. But, um, but you got to honor the people that you, that the Lord has called you to work for, whether that's your dad or whether that's some pastor that you just met and, uh, and trust that they're stewarding the place that God has entrusted to them. And you got to do it in, in a God honoring way. That's good wisdom. Wow. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm trying listen. to save somebody their job. Right. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I just, um, I had a student just email me a thing for a project about leadership and, and how you can encourage other leaders. And my response was every leader also has a leader, right? We're always answering to somebody and you have to come into alignment with the leader. And the best way for you to be a leader is to come into alignment and then everything you lead falls in line with that. And then you're and then you're well structured. Otherwise, you need to get out of the way. Maybe the Lord's calling you somewhere else. But it, certainly if you're going to be defiant, you got to get out of the way. That's not the way to do it. So. Yeah, I think it, I don't remember who exactly said it. I want to say 
it was press. Someone's told me that Preston Ulmer has said this: that you're always a public fan and you're a private skeptic. So when yeah. there's there's things that maybe you just don't understand, those are things that we deal with in private. In you know in uh, in one-on-one meetings that we have with our, you know, our leadership or our pastor or whoever is in charge of the thing. But when I'm in a, when I'm in a ministry context, especially when I'm young, then I'm a, I'm a fan. Like I'm for the church. I'm for what we're doing here. I'm for the vision that God has called this place to. And if there's things that I just don't understand yet, or things that, you know, that maybe we do differ on opinion, uh, about then those are things that I don't deal with on Facebook or on, you know, uh, with, with students in my youth group. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know why pastor does that. I wish he would really change it, but what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. It's just not the best. It's not no. the best way, uh, to do it. So, uh, maybe just encourage somebody with that, that, um, listen, if you go to work for a church and the Lord uh, gives you that chance, then um you know be a fan of that place and a, a fan of what's going on if there's things that you don't understand you know deal with it in the right way that's good yeah public fan private, private skeptic. skeptic very good i like that so any do you have any interesting stories you want to share specifically related to that youth ministry in in albuquerque for anyone going into youth ministry i'll tell you one of my favorite stories i was so i would maybe had been back in albuquerque a couple months we were getting ready for our youth service on Wednesday night and I had norm- I would normally get there before everybody else just to make sure everything was, you know, set up right. And this lady that I didn't know walks into the gym where we used to do our youth service and uh, I didn't recognize her, but she said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for a, a priest or a pastor. Do you know one, you know, maybe it's like, well, I'm the youth pastor here. Maybe there's something I could help you with. And she was like, Oh, great. Well, I got my grandma in the car and I'd like somebody to pray for her. And like all of a sudden it was like, that seems a little odd, but I guess I'm a pastor and I don't mind praying for people. So, so I agreed to it. We walked out to the car and I'm looking in the car and I don't see anybody in the car. So at this moment, like at this time I was like, yeah, this is really weird. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, like I don't know why to get attacked. something weird is about to happen, <laughs> yeah. so I, but I just went along with it. Oh, I didn't know any better. <laughs> so we walked to the car, she opened the back door and she pulls out this urn. Oh, wow. And, uh, then you she, pulled out, you air pulled out a very large urn, Aaron. That's how Nobody big it was. Nobody can see it, but wow. Okay. <laughs> she pulled out an urn. And she uh, then started, like, then really explained to me, well, I'm about to go spread my grandmother's ashes, and I just wanted somebody to pray a blessing over them. Do you think you could do that for me? And they don't teach you that in Bible school, like the blessing uh, over the ashes that are about to be spread out um, on the mountains. (laughs) That's true. They don't. So uh, that was fun. Not the one you went to. (laughs) Not the one that I went to. What would you do? I said something uh, along the lines of Lord be with, I can't even remember her name. I wish I could <laughs> oh, be with her and help them. And we pray a blessing over her grandma in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if that's proper but, blessing. But you weren't taught. So how are you going to know? Yeah. I hope it worked. <laughs> I like that. That's a, I like that favorite story that you just shared. That's so good. Okay, so then you come back to the Dallas area. Yeah. Yeah, and where did you work? I know. So that Tell was a, everybody else. That was a transition. So we transitioned out of Albuquerque. We were there for almost eight years, seven years. That's a good That's a good period of time. Yeah, so we were youth pastors at the same church in the same youth group for seven years. So that's a long time. Yeah, you were with kids for, yeah. So yeah, we saw to see almost two classes graduate. We saw tons of kids get saved. And, uh, you know, now a lot of the, you know, high schoolers that were high schoolers when I was a youth pastor, like they're grown adults with kids and stuff. So that's a little bit weird. Yeah. But, uh, so we were there for a while and then, uh, we felt like the Lord was transitioning us. So, um, we moved back to the Dallas area so that I could go to seminary. So Mm -hmm. I, started taking seminary classes at Dallas Theological, downtown Dallas. And that's what brought us back to the Dallas area. So I was taking seminary classes. 
Um, and then I got the opportunity to work uh, for Gateway Church doing pastoral care stuff. Mm -hmm. Robert Morris's yeah. church, yeah. So I worked for pastoral one of their- Pastoral care, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. so I worked um, at the Dallas campus um, doing work in the, the pastoral care, uh, doing some administrative pastoral care stuff and helping them like with all of the like benevolence needs and funerals and weddings and like uh, pastoral counseling and things like that. Wow. Yeah, so I did that cool for experience. about a year or so. Okay. So um, that was about a year. We were uh, living in Trophy Club at that time. So did that for about a year, and then there was a job opening in uh, at Southwestern, mm -hmm. uh, and we made our way back there. Wow. And that's what brought us back to South Dallas. Yes. So... You so you really you went and Southwestern Assemblies of God University. Then you're working with now young adults. Yeah. So um, I took a job working in residential life, which is um, it's kind of uh, we oversaw all the student population that lived on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, so we all oversaw all the dorm living and student life, and really everything that involves students that happen on campus. Um, so. Uh, was doing that and it was uh, it was our job just to kind of uh, help with the spiritual atmosphere of students living in the dorms mm -hmm. uh, and so we did that and there was a lot of some other you know administrative stuff that we would do like housing you know housing things and uh, at the same time we were uh, like the resident rule keepers if you want that's a nice way of, of putting it mm -hmm. but we what's the mean way to put it you don't want to say that on a oh, podcast. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I'm, sure, I'm naive. I don't know. I mean, know. I'm sure some people have uh, words for it. Okay, never mind. But, I didn't really know there was an actual mean. So the resident rule keepers. Yeah. So good. really, really what, uh, what our job was to do was to help the spiritual development of, stu of college students who lived on campus. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and by doing that, one of the ways that we did that was by helping people realize that there there are rules um, associated with a small Christian university in the South, a small conservative Christian university in the South, mm -hmm. who was founded on you know principles of of teaching young people and sending them out into a world to, you know, to share the good news about Jesus and, and the gospels. So, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's some rules that go along with that to help students, uh, to help them, you know, develop into mature adult Christians. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the ways that I always like to talk about, to talk about this, because I think there's some college students who will go to, like maybe more conservative Christian universities and they just, they don't understand like, why are the, why all the rules? Why do we have curfew? And why is there a dress code? And why do I got to go to chapels so many times a week? And why can't I just do what, whatever I want? Um, one of the, one of the ways I try to help students understand that is we're trying to prepare students to live in the real world and wherever you wherever you go after you graduate and become an adult, there's rules associated with that. And, um, and whatever you decide to do, whatever job you decide to take, then there are certain standards that you've got to, that you got to meet up to. Now, the standards that we have in Christian universities, those standards are to maintain the spiritual climate of, uh, of a place and to help students make good decisions in their life especially during like that emerging adulthood age where students are developing where they're um, not really adolescents but they're not really adults either mm -hmm. so it's like that weird stage of they don't really have like that childlike dependency on somebody because they live on their own but at the same time they're not like full-fledged adults with what we would consider like adult responsibilities quite mm -hmm. yet. So what we try to do is we try to bridge that gap. And one of the best ways to bridge that gap is to put some guardrails up for students and say, hey, you got all this new freedom that you probably have never had uh, in your life. Or maybe you've had it before, but all the freedom that you used to have or the, the freedom that you are now experiencing, I'm gonna give you some guardrails to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. like 
to help you develop into mature, a mature Christ follower. And, um, and there's some things that, that, you know, when we're in this, when you're in this place are not going to be beneficial for you. And, uh, and we want to help, we want to help you avoid those things. And, um, and I guess that's, that's why there's rules in places. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, they're not arbitrary rules either. They're rules for, for people's benefits. Yeah, that's true. I went to a public university and this was really interesting as a, a SAGU student had just asked me about the whole guys and girls and dorms policy and, and just, just some of that and the whole open dorm thing. The, I forgot how frequently it, it takes place, but why can't we just do that all the time and, and stuff like that? Yeah. And I said, you know, here's the thing. And, and, and to back up, you're right. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of students will assume that they're now suddenly with a snap of a finger and a high school diploma in their hands and adults and that they needed to be treated as such in a college. Now you do, cause it, but, but really it's more of a transition. I get you. So now I went to a school that didn't really have the same types of rules. Of course we had rules. We couldn't just come in onto campus anytime we wanted, um, you know, three in the morning or whatever without a reason. We weren't, you weren't, you couldn't be doing drugs. And there actually were guy and on girl hall rules at the time, but really in my second year, um, guys lived across the hall from girls in the, in the public school. Uh, university that I went to and um, I think third year is the same so anyway the point is it it was different but I said here I'll I'll tell you one thing first of all as a mother if I'm sending my daughter who is 17 18 years old I don't want there to be a a guy in his early 20s having access to my daughter anytime he wants on that campus that I'm paying all that money for because She's not probably, probably these students aren't the ones paying the bills a lot of times. So I get to call the shots because I'm mom, number one. And I said, and the other thing is I remember, now here's the thing, this can happen on any campus, anywhere. But I think without rules in place, it's more frequent in the ones without the rules in place. And I remember being alone in my own room and there was a suite, it was a suite connected by a bathroom. My suite mates, none of them were there. Uh, none of my roommates were there and I lived on a girl's hall and it was a weekend and I didn't have a car at all. And so I stayed in, I had nothing to do. And I remember a guy not pounding on my door and our doors are these thick, heavy doors that once they're shut, they are shut. And he pounded on my door. I opened the door and he was just so drunk. I could smell it all over him. He's a, a, a big, strong guy. And he was like, hey, what you do? And I was like, uh, it's time for you to leave. And he pushed his way into my room and got, I was trying to get between me and the door. And I said, you need to get out of here. He's like, oh, come on, lighten up, let me in. There's nobody on my hall. And thank God I was able to shove him out of my room. I shut that door so hard, I locked it. And I just trembled thinking what could have happened to me. But I think that sometimes we don't realize that these rules, they seem like, oh, I'm an adult, I can handle it. But they're for your safety too. Yeah. So I don't know. And like I said, that could happen anywhere. Like I'm not naive enough to think that that can't happen anywhere, even with rules. But I don't know that um, people really understand how much they are, are being helped by learning how to set up these boundaries. And why did I open the door? It made me really think like, why did I open the door to a guy when I was the only girl in the hall? Yeah. Just trusting he would be safe. Yeah. But. So I, I, I mean, I think when you're young, it's hard, it's hard for you to process, but I, I mean, I think, I think what I try to help students understand is, is you gotta, you gotta realize the place that you made a decision to go to. Mm. So I, you know, I, I chose to go to a small private conservative Christian university in the South. And um, one, because I appreciated the Christian values that they were, were teaching me. Um, and, and I, I realized that there were other things that went along with that is they were trying to help me, um, develop Christian disciplines, um, that, that were going to be beneficial for me. Now I didn't have to choose that. I could have chose a, a different route to go. Like when I did grad work at a state university mm-hmm. that had a different set of rules and a different set of values. Uh, but still had rules yeah but they still had rules and they still had values yeah so uh, i just i just always try to remind myself is they're there for a reason you got to see you know you got to see into it you know Mm -hmm. think think logically like through this like 
you know, does it really need to have a curfew? I, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's other places that don't have curfews, and some people seem uh, to do fine. But just usually, if I'm thinking through things, there's not very many good things that are happening at 2, 3, 4 in the morning. That's true. I mean, yes. I guess there are some good things. Some people to go to all-night prayer vigils and things like that. But for the most part, the things that are happening at two, three and four in the morning aren't going to be beneficial for your life. So, so there's a guardrail that I'm, that, you know, let me try to help you a little bit. Most of the things that happen late, late at night aren't going to be good things. So why don't you just try to come home at one Mm o'clock and, and let me help you maybe avoid preemptively avoid, uh, some of those things. And, you know, I could, that I could follow that same logic with any of the rules uh, that, you know, that are in place at, you know, at universities or really anywhere Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and see the value, see the value in them. And we can disagree on them. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You can think that they're not valuable and that they're not beneficial and that they don't help, but you could also, if you feel that strongly about it, you could find maybe a different place that is more in tune with your values. And, uh, so that that's kind of how I try to help students uh, understand, like, you know, especially private Christian universities that are different, you know, than state schools where everybody gets to seemingly do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. I think that your position sounds too like there, you had good opportunity to minister to students. Yeah, it was it was my favorite thing because because I've always I always have felt like this genuine call from the Lord to help young people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to help them develop spiritually. And I think in all the contexts that I've done, you know, vocational ministry in my adult life, have, have they've been in contexts like that of helping young 18 to 20 something year olds grow spiritually. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of moments like that through, uh, you know, through your college career, mm-hmm. that 18 to 20 something, you know, we can, we can look at the research. There's a there's this developmental psychologist. His name's Jen, Jensen Arnett, I think. I think he's in Clark, somewhere in Massachusetts. But he developed this like this theory, emerging adulthood theory, and yes. he talks he talks about how in emerging adulthood, this is when you're going to develop all of these long lasting attributes that will stick with you for the rest of your life, and you're going to do that between 18 and uh, and 25 year you know, 25-ish years old. So, like, that age range is you're really developing the person that you're going to be for the rest of your life. And that is, that's just not true, you know, intellectually or morally. I think that's true spiritually, too, Mm -hmm. that you're, in your 18 to 20-something, you're going to develop a spirituality that will stick with you for the rest of your life. And so I feel like it's a really important age um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I've gotten lots of great opportunities to just help people process through what it means to live for Christ on my own mm-hmm. without somebody making me and make decisions by myself that, um, that maybe in the past somebody forced me to do or coerced me into doing. Um, and now when you get to that age range, you've got to figure out you know, do I, am I going to adopt this for myself? And am I going to internalize this and make this a part of who I want to be? And I think that college age range, like that's happening. Yeah. What an honor for you to, to work. What am I talking about? Well, you and I both work with college age students yeah. right now too. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I was like, man, that sounds amazing. I want to do that. I oh wait, sign up to do that's that. literally my job. <laughs> <laughs> literally my job. Well, I'll tell you this, Aaron, my, I just interviewed my brother, Tom, on a podcast and he and I were both talking about how we were raised in a Christian home. Yes. But there is this point where you have to own it yourself and it happens at different times for different people. But I would, yes, that 18 to 25 is typically when, when you see that you're owning your, your own faith really on your own. Now that's not to say that faith before that is not genuine. I do definitely believe it is, but to, to carry it and to become a leader on your own. It's such a cool thing. Well, so I say you're doing that now because now you're working here at the Oaks and although you work in the kids department, 
you are working with a lot of our Oak School of Leadership students. Yeah, we have a lot of, uh, of college-age students. We have a lot of college-age, uh, you know, interns who, like, intern specifically with kids to do ministry for kids. But there's a lot of college-age students that just serve on the weekend, that serve mm-hmm. with kids. And uh, so, like, I, I love working with them and helping them, like, figure this ministry thing out and what it looks like in how to do ministry in a healthy way and, and what practices can we adopt to teach kids uh, about Christ and to teach them in a way that they'll be able to learn and retain. So, uh, like, yeah, that's a common thread in everything that I've done is working with, you know, young adults, mm-hmm. you know, that emerging adulthood aged person. Yeah, that's so neat. Well, so what are some of your, I might be putting you on the spot, but what are some of your favorite things about young adults in working with them? Um, not so, like you don't have an answer, but you have so many good things to say. Yeah, I love young adults. They're <laughs> my favorite people. Yeah. Uh, I just I love I love help I love helping I love helping young adults get why we do things. So I think I think lots of uh, especially lots of people who aspire to do vocational ministry have done ministry for a long time. Maybe they were a leader in a youth group, or they served in the children's uh, church service or, you know, whatever the context is that they did and have done certain things. Uh, One of my favorite things is getting to help students understand why we do things. So I get to do this a lot in the kids, uh, in the kids ministry, uh, when we're talking like kids ministry stuff, when we're writing like the way that we're going to say things. So if we're teaching um, some really complex, like theological truths to three and four year olds, then we don't get to we don't get to elaborate on them like we would a, a college student in a college course. But we use principles like Jesus is my teacher, and uh, how do I learn? How do I? How can I best learn God's way? I follow Jesus. Jesus is my teacher. So we try to help like, and it's, and it's fun to help them under, to get that, to get why we're doing things of, you know, why do we, you know, why do we say things the way that we say them? Why do we have the policies that we have, you know? So that's my favorite thing. Okay. That's really good. I can, I, I have to tell you a funny story, kid's story, because this is the way a kid's brain thinks the other day. Um, I was reading to my youngest two sons in the book of Joshua. So Joshua, they're about to enter Jericho, but he sends a a couple spies, right? And the spies go and they find Rahab. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading the story. They find Rahab. Well, then it comes time for them to leave. So she lowers down this scarlet rope out the window. And then what my youngest son said, oh, 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 I know what happens next. And I said, you do? I said, tell me what happens next. He said, then they, they, they put the, they took the parts of the roof off and they lowered the man down in there and then Jesus healed him. That's, that's exactly how that story goes. I know, isn't it? It was the most precious thing, (laughs) but he, but we know like in a kid's brain, he actually is making connections. Someone's on a rooftop somewhere and they have to be lowered down. But yes, um, a lot of times those details you have to help people who are teaching kids to know that uh, you can't get too lost in the details. (laughs) We have so many fun rooftop stories in the Bible. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, working with, with young adults is super, super fun. And I mean, they're the ones who they, they turn around and they got a lot of energy, which is amazing. I know you've got, we haven't talked about your family, but you have, well, we've talked about Kate, but you have three kids Yeah. and sometimes our energy is, um, I don't know. I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I'm just tired. And when I see the energy of a 20 something, I'm like, yes, you go for it. I want you to go for it. The other day I was thinking about this. I was remembering back to, I think it was my senior year in college and I was working full time. I was taking full time classes and Kate and I were dating at the time. And I thought I couldn't, I'm never in my life. I will never be more busy than this. I will never be more stressed out. Like if I could just get past this semester, then it's never going to get worse than this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know how this ends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> married 10 years, three kids later, it gets worse it and does. you get a bit more busy and you get more stressed out and there's yeah. more responsibilities and more things to worry about. And uh, I was just 
laughing at myself thinking, thinking, you know, there's lots of students that maybe feel like that, but you know, right now you have the most time and energy and like liberty to do whatever it is that you want. You could serve at the church for 40 hours and work and do classes and still like have time for a social life. Mm -hmm. Like that's a great, that's a great time. Like Sweet deal. take me back. <laughs> right. You're right. But, but for those of you listening, don't tune out now because it's not horrible, right? Because it no. does get harder, but you get, it's like working out, right? Like you're going to increase the weights. It gets harder, but you can't do the increased weights until you've done, until you've built up. So it's this building up, you know, to get hard, more difficult, but you can do it. It's bearable. Yeah, and I feel more fulfilled now than I did when I was 20 oh, man. years old and That's, I have so yeah. many of so much more joy in life just because of the things that I've gotten able to, that I've been able to do. And, you know, you have kids and that helps. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Cause there's this love that you can't help yeah. and it, and it carries you through. It's almost like when you reach the end of a, like a marathon, you, you get what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. all the work was worth it. Yeah. I've literally never run a marathon. I just wanted to be ridiculous. I don't ever <laughs> aspire to run a marathon. Me or either. run ever. Sometimes I see the half marathon uh, stickers and I want to put under it celebrating mediocrity because it's only half. <laughs> but I've never even done a half. <laughs> like I'm tired after I drive a half marathon. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. You should um, you should get a marathon sticker with a car on it and be like, I drove it. I'm tired of just walking up the steps coming up here to this podcast. Well, it's just very much like me to derail a conversation with saying something really dumb. But the point was, I imagine all the work put in in a marathon would be worth it at the end. And and truly, that is what it's like being a parent. It's worth it. Yeah. There's nothing else I'd rather do than than what I'm doing right now. So, yeah. But that is funny because I also remember being like, I'm extreme. And even sometimes if I'd miss class, I'm extremely tired. I just don't feel well at all you know would be some of my excuses and now i'm like i don't i haven't felt great in three days but i showed up to work every day yeah and i and made my kids dinner <laughs> and helped them with their homework yeah so i teach a college <laughs> freshman class and i i try to help college fresh freshmen realize the difference between i don't feel well and i'm sick um if you don't feel well because you went to bed at four in the morning well that's not a very good reason mm -hmm. like you just stayed up too late. You're tired. You'd feel fine if you had a full night's rest. Like yes. sick means you just came from the doctor and they said uh, you can't come to class. And so, you're contagious. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I, you know, I have lots of students that I have to help them learn, like learn the difference. Because you get a grown adult and like you could not feel well and not sleep, but hey, uh, you got to get your kids to school at seven fifteen in the morning, mm -hmm. and then after that, you got to get to work by eight, and then you got to go pick up your kids, and you got to make dinner, and you got to do homework, and you got to do all of those other things. Yeah. So maybe uh, for some college students out there, just get yourself ready for it now. Yeah, prep now. <laughs> I love that. Um, I knew that that but but I also kind of forgot in in the moment that you also teach some courses for college students. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So I teach like college readiness courses. Um it's called uh strategies for student success. We're just we, we're helping high schoolers who are transitioning into college learn uh, learn some skills that they're going to need to be successful in college. So I always tell all my students that my goal is to help you you know, adopt some practices that will help you be successful at doing college. College is a lot different than high school and being on your own is a lot different than being at mom and dad's house. And uh, so, we, you know, we talk about a lot of uh, a lot of those things about managing your uh, managing your schedule and um, uh, and about procrastination and uh, and about building friendships and about getting involved in things. And, you know, we talk about some spiritual disciplines, too, about praying, about reading the Bible. And so there's lots of lots of things that we try to help students uh, prepare for, like literally get out, get out a, a calendar and write down when all of your assignments are due because nobody's going to ask you. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, some nice professors might remind you what's coming up, 
but for the most part, uh, we're going to try to treat you like adults. And, and so like navigating into it, like easing, easing high schoolers into college, uh, you know, we just try to give them some tools to, to help. I could have used a class like that when I was a freshman in college. I didn't have anything like that where I went and I'm telling you, I would be up I would be up all hours of the night just trying to focus and not being able to focus and all the things that you just said I really could have learned. So that's really neat that you get to teach that. I might have to go back and I feel like I took that class in college, but I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Do you think your class is paying attention to you? Surely. They're the greatest students uh, in the world. You hear that, guys? He loves you. They're listening to you right now. Yeah, that is great. That's fun. Most of them are the greatest students in the world. (laughs) Yeah. So, oh, I want to talk about this because you mentioned going to seminary and then and then doing, you know, post undergraduate work. Talk to me about you have a master's degree in um, family family studies. Family studies. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that's about? Yeah. So when I was I was a youth pastor in Albuquerque, and um, I always wanted to back, go back to graduate school and um, the state school, University of New Mexico, where I was working. Uh, they did, they had a, a program in family studies, which is, it's like a mix of human development and um, marriage and family therapy. That's like the easiest way uh, to explain it. But I realized when I was doing, when I was doing youth ministry, I realized that while we call this youth ministry, the majority of the issues that high school students, junior high and high school students are dealing with stem from family relationships or Mm -hmm. family dynamics uh so i just thought man i would go back and try to to best understand how families work together so that we could at the church best serve our families Mm -hmm. um so i went back and did a graduate program in in family studies and it, it was great we talked a lot about uh, that's where I first was introduced to the emerging adulthood uh, ideas, and we talked about family interaction theories and family systems theories. Mm-hmm. And um, there's uh, Yuri Bronfenbrenner's bios bioecological systems theory that says that uh, that all you know interactions and relationships are. Um, that they're informed by other systems that are at play in everybody's life. So if you're, you know, if you want to figure out the issues that a mom and son are having, then you don't just look at the mom and son, but you look at the environment that they're in and you look at the relationship that the mom has with the dad, or is there a relationship with the dad? And there's all of these other things that are happening outside of like the thing that we want to fix. So it's, uh, that was real helpful for you know just for me and thinking about how we do ministry is um yeah we can talk and have coffee and and do all that but we got to process through all the things that are happening in your life and you know what's your life like at home what's your life like with your peer group and what's your life like you know at the place that you work and all of those things so there's lots of different dynamics that happen Mm -hmm. would you would you recommend to someone going in into ministry really any kind but I mean, specifically, you're talking about youth. Would you recommend going beyond that undergraduate degree if they can't? I mean, if they can do it? I think there's it takes a special student to be a graduate to do graduate work. Not not because not because it's like that hard Mm -hmm. per se. It's just a lot of time commitment Mm -hmm. towards something. So there are some students that I don't ever recommend that they go do graduate work because they barely finished their undergrad mm-hmm. work and thank the Lord that they did. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't set yourself up for ministry, like for misery. Mis- ministry will help you that. Um, but don't set yourself up for misery. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but there's some students that if you go back and do, you know, do a graduate program, it's going to give you all kinds of tools to better, to better serve the people that you're ministering mm-hmm. to. So um, like that, I did, I did some grad work in family studies and then I've done some seminary work, um, like in theological studies too, Mm -hmm. that helped me understand the Bible better. So I could communicate that better to the people, um, that I get to minister to. So I'm all for, I'm all for doing grad work after under, I think we need more studied people. Mm -hmm. We need people who are well-read people who are intellectual, who can, um, 
who can understand really complicated things and help translate that uh, in a way that's easily understood by others. And I think there's lots of, you know, there's lots in the scripture that's, you know, it's kind of complicated to understand and you got to take time to read and study so that you can communicate that to others. So I think it's, you will only benefit yourself going to grad school. Um, but, but don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, man, if I can't go to grad school, then I'm not going to be qualified to do anything and I'm never going to get a job, uh, anywhere. Cause I mean, that's, I don't think that's the case either. Right. I think there's a balance. Right. That's really good. That's such good wisdom, really good perspective. You're right. There's some people, they're not geared to do that. And, and in fact, I don't, the Lord probably doesn't want them to, cause he's got something else for them. So yeah, if you're, maybe if you're geared for that and you know, then yeah, by all means do it. Yeah. I think everybody should learn and study Mm -hmm. and continue to grow, but like in a very directed, specific with high demand on you, like grad school does. Um, like that's, I mean, that's some stress that Mm -hmm. that's coming your way and financially also. Yeah. Yeah. And you gotta pay, you gotta pay these things back at some point. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, if you are planning on doing grad school, you know, get a job somewhere and take a class at a time and do it over five years and pay for it cash instead of, you know, doing it in two years and having this huge amount of debt that you got to pay back. Mm -hmm. So there's different ways to do it. You don't necessarily have to do like the traditional, the traditional way. Yeah. There's something to be said too about taking your time with something because a lot of, I kind of wonder when people blast through a program, you've got to wonder how much they're really retaining. Are you really learning? Did you really do the, the work that you did? Like what? Yeah. What's, what's what kind of what kind of graduates coming out of this? If yeah. you if you blast it through a program. Yeah, so. I just want to be nice to some because like there's some there's some programs that people say like, oh yeah, I did my master in so and so from the online university of whatever. It's like, oh great, tell me about that. Yeah, I was able to finish it in three and a half months, and you know. It was only 600 bucks. It was great. Like, then they have this like diploma on their wall. It was like, I don't think you learned very much. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you should have just given me that $500. I could have taught you more. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, if you are my medical doctor, please tell me you did not get that degree. <laughs> yes. You know, in that short. I don't want you cutting me open, you know, but. <laughs> But if it's someone who may be, because there, there is a neat thing about, here's what I love about graduate studies is that it's, you're taking what you already do and you're learning more about it. If, if in the ideal situation, you're taking your real life. And so your schoolwork doesn't feel like schoolwork. It's actually benefiting your occupational work yeah. at the same time. And then some programs are even more geared toward that. So maybe if you're working with kids or something and you're, you're in the classroom and you're also doing the school, you're actually, you're actually killing two birds with one stone right there. Yeah. But yeah. So I didn't know that we'd go on that graduate school tangent, but I do, I do like talking about that. And you're right. There are very many ways to learn. And nowadays it just seems like there's exponential ways to learn. Yeah. I and mean, what I, all the things that I learned in graduate school, and I hate to say this like on a podcast, but all the things I learned in graduate school, I could have learned outside of paying the tuition for it. Mm-hmm. Now, just for the direction of my, of my life. Like I wanted to have, like, I wanted to have, you know, a degree that says, no, he actually did this work and studied and knows it. Uh, cause that that's opened up a lot of doors for me. You know, it's opened up doors for me to teach and it's opened up, um, things, you know, uh, some other opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. But the reality is everything that I learned in my graduate program, I could have learned outside of paying a, a single dollar mm-hmm. for it. So it's not like, it's not like, well, I, I can't afford to go to graduate school, so I'm never going to be able to learn those things. Well, I don't think that's the case at all. Maybe you can't afford to go to graduate school, but you're really interested in doing it. Great. Uh, just go to your, the place that you wish you could go to the most, look up the required readings for the course that you want to take and go to the library and read those books and yes. start there. Let's be honest. Some grad courses, that's what they have you do anyway. And yeah. you're like, why did I pay for this? Yeah. All I'm reading is, all I'm doing is reading a book and that's it. So I think that if you, if you're, if you want to learn, you're going to find a way to learn. And you're right. You're right, Aaron. Like you don't, if, if grad school is not where, where you're being called to now, 
for what I for what I do and for what you do and for things that we want to do, no one's going to hire me at a university if I don't first have my degree work. So that's just a job requirement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you want to learn something for the for your field of work, there's conferences, there's YouTube, there's the books. There, I mean, there's so many things. Visiting conversations. I mean, hello, face-to-face conversations and experience. Yeah. What are some other? Can you think of other things? Other ways to learn outside of that? Did I steal them all? No, I mean, I think just <laughs> talk with people who have who have done it for a while. Mm-hmm. I think one of one thing that would be beneficial for young people to do is, you know, what do you aspire to do one day, and try to try to associate with people who are doing that, you know, uh, you know, try to, you know, if you want to be a youth pastor one day, then you should go serve in a youth ministry. Uh, if you want to be a kid's pastor one day, then you should go be a volunteer in somewhere that's serving kids. I think one of the best, one of the best ways to learn, and maybe this is more directed at, um, students who aspire to do vocational ministry is even if you are at a Christian university, you're uh, maybe you're in a leadership program, but one of the best things that you could probably do is just go and serve with somebody. Um, one of the things that I tell, you know, that I tell some students is if I were to hire somebody right now to come work for me, I probably would want to know that they've been serving in the ministry that I'm about to hire them to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's some college students who aspire to be pastors and who aspire to be youth pastors, aspire to go into ministry, that they'll go to university and um, they'll take all the right classes, but they'll never they'll never go to church. Like they'll sleep through church on Sunday and they won't be actively involved in doing ministry. And you do two, three, four years of that in a row, send me a resume. And when I'm looking at it, probably one of the first questions that I'm going to ask you is like, tell me about the ministry that you're serving in right now, or where have you been doing ministry for the last three or four years? Tell me how that's been for you. And I just get nervous that some students are not going to be able to have that answer. Mm. Like they're going to say, well, I kind of like was exploring different options and kind of just wanted to see what kind of churches were out there. So I went to this church one Sunday and then I took a couple Sundays off to process through what I saw and then you know and then it was Christmas break so you know how Christmas break is you don't do church on Christmas break so I feel like that's the that that's happening that's a real thing Mm -hmm. so I would just encourage hey if you want to get a job at a church one day or doing ministry one day then you should do ministry Mm -hmm. and maybe that just begs the question of um do you do you really do you really like is this something that's really a heart for you to do uh because i think if you're called to do some kind of ministry then you would do it if somebody paid you or didn't pay you and um i think lots of opportunities are going to open up for students like that Mm -hmm. who who would do who would who would do ministry whether somebody writes them a paycheck or doesn't give them a paycheck Mm -hmm. uh and um, those are those are the kind of students that I think the that the Lord sees, mm-hmm. and those are the kinds of students that I think get lots of opportunities uh, to do stuff because you're going at it with the right heart, and the, and the Lord sees your heart. Mm-hmm. That's good, and I you know, and that's what like what our our students who come through the Oak School of Leadership, that is one of the the, the major benefits that they're getting is they're in full, they're in ministry. That's why at, I love that's week. why I love OSL, and I think. It's OSL and programs like it are the greatest mm-hmm. are the greatest thing that are happening uh, right now because it matches the learning that you need to do. Like you need to learn, you need to learn how to read the Bible. You need to learn how how to communicate clearly what the Bible says. Like you got to learn all those things, and uh, but at the same time, you can't just have lots of knowledge without you know without doing ministry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love OSL and that was, maybe that was just a shameless plug. (laughs) Well, you went through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. You went through it and then now you're ministering to the students who are currently going through it while you get to work with your wife and 
I want to talk about that a little, a little bit because Brian and I work together and then you and Kate work together. Some some people who go into ministry, a lot of people go into ministry, they're, they're working together. So let's talk about some of the, the, the really great things about working with a spouse. I mean, you get to be around them all the time. That's fun. That is fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because... I mean, there's, there's been some points in our lives where, you know, I was, so this is, this is the first time that we've actually worked in the same building, like at the same time. So when we got married, I was working, but she wasn't working at the church. Then, um, you know, I was working at a certain place and she was working somewhere else. And then she was working here at the church. I was working, uh, you know, at the university down the road and now we're in together in the same place, getting to do the same thing. So like that's great spending more time together who wouldn't want to do that yeah uh, that's what i like too i know it's fun because I'm, I'm like i'll see you at work when we leave in the morning i'm like see you at work yeah. and then when we leave you know at the end of the day i'll i'll see you at home yeah. <laughs> this is something interesting too is that there there's now i don't know how you and kate work but there sometimes i hear this notion that it's almost like you're wearing different hats. And so if I go home, we don't, people would say, no, don't talk about work at home. No, no, no. When I go home, I'm talking about ministry with my husband. And, but I'm also talking about my children. But I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Like when you go home, do you have a rule? We're not gonna talk about work? Or does it just naturally happen? Cause that's I've your life. I've heard that before. And I, I've never, fully understood it and maybe I probably don't understand it because I grew up as a pastor's kid in a pastor's home mm-hmm. so since I can remember being alive I remember being in church and like church being my entire life and um and all the things that we did in my life were revolved around church like mm-hmm. we we chose baseball teams based on when the practices were because if they were on Wednesday night, we weren't going to be able to go there because we went to church. Mm-hmm. And like, so I just don't know how you would do that if it's, especially if if the Lord has called you to, to ministry mm-hmm. and that's your heart and it's your deepest passion is to see people come to Jesus, then how could you not talk about that when you go home? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? That's how I feel too. Yeah. I'm good. I'm not crazy. Like we talk about other things too, mm-hmm. but I just, I don't know how, I don't know how, and maybe I just don't fully get it. So I don't want to say that it's, it's totally a bad thing to do. Right. There's probably some context. Like there are some days where like on Friday where, you know, we're off on Fridays where we probably don't want to spend all day on our day off talking about work stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like I get there's a balance yeah. uh, of that too. Yeah, there is a balance. I mean, if it's overwhelming everything and it's overshadowing everything, if, if your kids are, are needing dinner, but they're not getting dinner because, um, you know, you, you and Kate or like me and Brian are, are doing ministry. That's one thing. But yeah, I, I've never understood it. Even the whole like when you go on a date, don't talk about two things. Don't talk about work. Don't talk about your kids. And I think... That's literally my whole life. Yeah, what we're is, gonna talk about is like stare at each other. Yeah, I'm like no, I love my children and my husband loves my children. We made them together and we're gonna talk about them, okay? Like, and I like my work and we work together. So we're gonna talk about work. I think it's almost like, would I really not talk about Jesus outside of the church? No, that would be ridiculous. Do I really love Jesus if I'm not talking about him? In other, if he doesn't naturally come up, then what am I really doing? Yeah. And so I think in a ministry context, now I, we are careful about, um, we're not ever going to talk in front of our children if, cause everywhere you go, let's just be honest, everywhere you go, there's stressors, frustrating things. We're not going to talk about that in front of our kids. We don't want them to hate ministry, you know? Um, but I think that if our kids know we're in ministry, but we never talk about it, maybe you're not in ministry. Then. Maybe we're not in ministry. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's, the, yeah. maybe it's just a job that you're doing. Yeah. And um, I want them to see that it's beautiful and it's wonderful and we enjoy it and it's not draining. And it's and it's something that we as we go throughout ministry, we're trusting the Lord and they get to see us trusting the Lord, too. So, yeah, that's it. So I do. I like that working with with Brian. Um, Do you feel too like with Brian? I know that I know the way he works. So sometimes I can read him pretty fast 
at work when we're working on a project together. Do you get that with, with Kate? Like I get her. So I know what she's trying to say here. Yeah. I think because I know her so well, like I'm going to get to that conclusion a lot faster than everybody else is. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's just like, okay, I know where you're going with this, but I need to let everybody else get there because it's going to take them 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot of benefits to that. But then again, like that could be like a frustrating thing for me too. Like, Hey, y'all, y'all get it together. Why are you so slow? Yeah. Like, figure, figure it out. Already. It's probably frustrating for them too. Cause they can see that you got it, but they don't got it. And they're probably like unfair advantage. Yeah. I should so ask Micaiah, but I'm not going to ask Micaiah. He's sitting here running sound. So Micaiah works with, with Brian and with me. And so, but I think we make good translators though. Yeah. I think I make a good translator for Brian and Brian makes a good translator for me on the team. If, if there's ever a misunderstanding or we communicate something and we think we've said something one way, but it was heard a different way, not like a bad way, but mm -hmm. just practical things. We can be good translators for our spouses. That's fun. Well, you're really fun to talk to Aaron. Thanks for yeah. having me. You've got the greatest wife. You've I got do. the cutest kids. Are you are you comfortable talking about your kids' names on air? Yeah, I have three kids. Uh, Penelope is gonna be eight this month. Wow. Silas is six, and baby Nora she is gonna be seven months. Oh man! All right, why don't you say hi to your kids and we'll we'll close out the podcast. Love you guys. If you ever listen to this, <laughs> they will. Kate will put it on in the van and they'll listen. That's what I do with my kids. I'm like, <laughs> I'll be like, listen to Pastor Aaron and how much he loves Kate and his kids. <laughs> You're really great. Thanks for so much insight. You have a lot of wisdom, Aaron, and I really appreciate it. You've been fun to interview. All right. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in for another Learn By Doing podcast. We hope you have an amazing day and we'll see you next time. We actually won't see you. We'll be talking to you. Bye. <laughs>